You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Hey, what's up? Before you listen, I have a quick request from you. While you're over here listening, go ahead on down, give us a rating and a review, especially if you're on Apple Music. Let us know how much you appreciate what we bring, the conversation, the dialogue. Tell us how it supports you. Give us that good five star. We appreciate you. No, come on, internet. Yay, internet is working for the moment. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it is amazing to see you here where you're challenged to examine your beliefs, question your predisposed notions, and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here along with my co-host India Jackson and a special guest to get the dialogue going. Woohoo! Here we are with another live podcast episode that is being recorded inside of Pause on the Play, the community. And as always, Thank you for joining us. And thank you to my guests that we have not introduced yet. And for India. Thank you, ma'am. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So before we get started, um, India, I want to let you talk a little bit about what we want to go into today. Because I do think that this is an episode that it's important to kind of let everyone know what um, we'll be discussing in case for any reason, it's something that maybe you are not fully equipped to go into right now. So I think it's important to prepare people. And then from there, I would love if you could lead into introducing our amazing guest that is joining us with the community. Right. So I think it's important to know that listening to this episode, we're going to be diving into mental health. If that's not something you feel comfortable with, feel free to come back to this at a later time when you're ready. We're going to be talking about what mental health looks like for different types of people, how not everyone needs the same type of mental health care. Um, We're going to be getting the perspective of a mental health therapist, okay? And we're going to be talking about specifically navigating what the needs may be different for women of color or people of color um, specifically. And let me also say, when we say people of color, we don't just mean African-Americans. There's more in the color spectrum than just African-Americans. And so as we dive into that, you know, some things may come up. Um, 
And so I like to just preference that with if you're not ready for mental health conversation, pause this, feel free to come back to it, save it for later. Um, now this is coming from the lens of someone who has a lot to bring to the table. So is there anything you'd like to add, Erica, before I go into telling them about our amazing guest? No, I'm just really glad that um, in a year that has been full of all of the reasons to take pause and to pay attention to where your mental state is and to actually evaluate it for its current health or what you can do to make it healthier. It's a conversation that has never been had enough, but as communities of color have longstanding reasons why it hasn't been done, um, even though the trauma this year has been very difficult, I am glad that there's been more dialogue around the need for healing and Honestly, I want to see more and more people that mirror myself and others that are on the browner shades of things um, to be able to provide that access. But even just one more means progress as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's important to have this conversation with someone that's actually a part of that community versus someone that just serves it or just sees that community. It's important when it's you and you're seeing yourself in it. I think that that shifts the dialogue, which is what I'm very important to, you know, I mean, very excited to jump into and I think it's important. I agree. I agree. Mental health in general can have so much stigma. Um, it can be a conversation that people are not comfortable with having in general. And then to just see from both of our perspectives of women of color that it's a subject that people of color from our upbringing really, really struggled to address, to feel comfortable with, um, to not shame each other and, and getting that support and to actually look at that support in a similar way as they would with their regular checkup with their medical doctor. Um, so I think it's important to have this conversation. I think there's a lot of opportunity here um, for some takeaways as well. Oh, mm -hmm. You ready? ready? Yes, let's do this. So even if you don't see yourself here, taking this information and take it back to those that do need it. Let them know that somebody out there that looks like them can service them. Right. And if you are a mental health provider and you don't um, identify as a person of color, there's also some takeaways here for you as well that you may want to bring back to your own practice. Okay. So let me tell you about our amazing guest. Amna Arman is the founder of Sane in the Membrane. I love the name of that, by the way. Thank and you. it's a wellness practice that addresses the mental health disparities of marginalized communities and artists. She identifies as a Muslim Palestinian American and is passionate about providing culturally oriented modes of therapy to underserved communities in the United States. Her clinical areas of focus are the effects of cultural homelessness on Muslim Americans, identity development amongst biculturals, creativity and healing within racial and religious minority communities. Her therapeutic approach is holistic. She believes in BIPOC healing that can occur by utilizing the cultural healing methods of the community. And I have some questions for her once we get started, because there are some words in here that I think are important to define. All right, without further ado, welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> I hear the crowd cheering in the background. Yay! <laughs> 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 
I love hearing someone else like talk about staying in the membrane like that. I'm like, staying in the membrane. Oh, yeah, that's mine. Yeah. It feels I, good. It feels I'm good. telling you, like, just so when I first was introduced to you, first of all, I was like, wait, somebody does that? Yeah. And they look like me. There's no appropriation <laughs> involved. What is the person? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just, when we first started talking, like I, I right away, I was like, I like this woman. <laughs> I liked you right I away. You too. I liked you too. <laughs> we but were Instagram I, friends for, for a minute. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and again, like, I think what India said is important because we're talking about what healing looks like for and from the perspective of a woman of color. And mm -hmm. so I think some of the words that um, did come up, it's important to acknowledge when they're used by you, if someone um, begins to uh, kind of look into you as a service provider and an individual, and also for this conversation, what does some of these words mean? So that there's yeah. not like, oh, I know what it means. It's like, no, no, no. Yes. Let's make sure that you know exactly what we mean when we yes. say this. Clarity is key. Yeah. So you, I can start out with cultural homelessness because that's a, it's a, it's a big term. Um, mm -hmm. So cultural homelessness basically means um, it includes biculturals, um, it includes biracials. So, you know, uh, an example would be someone who has both Eastern and Western values um, and is raised both with Eastern and Western values. So like an Arab American, um, they don't have like a, a core culture to call their own. Cause when they, you know, say they visit their homeland, let's say the Middle East, I'm, I'm talking for myself now, like when I visit, I'm not fully accepted there. Um, and I'm seen as an outsider because I'm seen as the privileged American and so then here in America, I'm also seen as the other. Um, right. And I don't, I can't say that I have a base culture that uh, includes me and that I can completely identify with. So that's cultural homelessness. So I have a bit of a question on yeah. that. And what I want to ask, um, slightly a selfish question, oh, yeah. but being somebody that is forward facing black of some in some way shape or form but not really knowing as much of what my heritage is yeah i don't have enough information from a family lineage standpoint to even say what my cultural base is like yeah. you know like you, what are the beliefs that are kind of the passed down things and so yeah. like and i bring that up because i think there's this conversation sometimes of someone that's possibly african that doesn't like if someone says African-American because they're like, wait, that's not who you are. Or someone that yeah. can't trace back to say, oh, I have family members that were a slave or whatever that is. And you're like, yeah. but I don't know what I am allowed to do because who says what? But yet I'm still yeah. so got a target on my back because I'm still brown. So. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like this is just kind of to, to parse through this, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Do you feel like you have a base culture to call your own? Like, can you say I identify with, like, do you find yourself in that space of kind of creating your own culture? And I think there's a lot of creating my own because do I feel like it's, it's black or African-American, whatever that is, but that doesn't feel like it has roots. I don't know what that means. And mm -hmm. so not having much beyond, um, 
kind of like grandparents or great great grandparents. I don't know what was what, and there's a lot of questionable things when it comes to like census types of records and things like that. And so there's there's enough there for me to say there's something, but I don't know what that means. And so when you think about, at least when I think about cultural roots, like there's nothing that says like, this is the religion that is ours. These are the things that were passed down. This is something that belongs to me. And I know it's not coming from a place of appropriation. When you feel like everything might be appropriation because you might be a little bit of everything. Yeah, I can identify with that a bit as well. Um, we know in my family that we have some Native American history. Um, and I've just started to kind of do my own research beyond what my family knows of with that. Um, but I do feel like that applies to possibly many um, multiple generational people of color in America that identify as Black, um, is you really don't know what those practices were, or what that history was there. Um, and so you're kind of having to, to make your own or decide for yourself what you want that to be and kind of take your power there or possibly go through the motions and adapt what is the norm of your country. Right, because I don't think it's the same as someone um, who's, who's you know lived experiences similar to yours in that there is a very stark difference. But I also think mm -hmm. that there's this place of like, well, what is it when you're like, I don't wanna adopt something that isn't mine from a trauma point of view of people that are like, yeah, mine is bad too, but it's like, but Doesn't do feel authentically anything? yours. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So that's that's uh, cultural homelessness. And when I like uh, was first introduced to that term, I was just, I mean, I was enamored by it. I'm like, wow, that includes me. Yes, I am the culturally homeless. And I want to serve the culturally homeless. And yes, you know, so I did like growing up, I did find myself in in that like third space, that third culture kid, just trying to create or find a space that is inclusive of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did that inform how you came to the work that you do today? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's, that is my why. Yeah, to, um, to be the voice uh, that, I, that I needed most as a kid. Yeah, to be and to, to offer that space, that safe space. Um, cause these aren't conversations that are had, you know, mm -hmm. you don't ever like, even, you know, like even in the education system, you don't ever think of, you know, um, uh, a kid of color as struggling, you know, with mental health or as trying to find a space or trying to create an identity or try, you know, we just think mm -hmm. of, uh, people of color in terms of survival. <laughs> that. Sorry, that's... I just dived in. I was, was no, <laughs> do it. I'm like, yeah, because so that we don't have up... time. Like, are we are we ever like, do we think in terms of thriving? We don't No, And it came up for me fairly recently. And it's come up a lot around um, this concept that there's so many things that we can do. And the ingenuity that shows up the resiliency, the ability to do these large scale things. And it's like, but what would that look like if it wasn't pushed by trauma? What would that look like if it wasn't a necessity? Because that was the only, like that was your normal. That like, is the normal, yeah. That's, that's your base, that's your, you know what I mean? That's your, your zero. And so I'm just like, we, I, 
I don't know what it would look like to not have to be pushed by being lesser than mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. not being enough or. Yeah. And that lesser than becomes an identity on its own. Like, and that's how we move in the world. And when, when I say we, I include all people of color. Like that's how we move in the world mm-hmm. as lesser than. Yeah. Yeah. What do you feel like are some of the long-term effects potentially of that lack of identity and it being rooted in lesser than? I hate to think about it, but I see it every day. Um, I mean, low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, it manifests in different, yeah, in different ways. And it depends. It depends. Relationship issues. Um, and it informs, like I said before, like it informs every aspect of your life. I mean, how can you develop an identity when like what Erica said, you are viewing life from a trauma lens. So even the breath that you're taking in is trauma informed. You're not, again, back to that thriving and surviving. You are in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you're not thinking about the decor around you or the world around you or what type of world you're going to create. You're thinking, I just don't want to die today because I am Brown in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I want to make sure we then go back um, in a second. And if there's any other terms, cause I also, I don't want to lose any of those, but before we do that, I just want to ask really quickly yes. when you, when we talk about the thriving piece, yeah. Um, and how, unfortunately, the lack of access to that shows up on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that that shows up in people's ability to kind of uh, achieve or ask for more or try to do more from a professional standpoint? Because I think yeah. that that's a huge piece of the the, the weights being off. And I'm like, I feel like if you don't belong in that, it's hard to understand what that is. That's a beautiful question. That's beautifully phrased too. Yeah, I see it all the time. I mean, um, the notion of taking up space, like how can you take up space really if space has never been offered to you, never been given to you? It's something that's gotta be demanded. And when you think of mental health, you think this is a luxury item. I mean, it's more of a luxury item than getting a a petty and manny, right? Like who has time for that? Again, back to the survival and the, you know, uh, the thriving. Um, It always goes back to that. But um, yeah, so if you, if, if space has never been given to you and you don't, you can't demand it because it's like, that's a frivolous boutique item, mental health is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then you have no clue what you're missing out on, really. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Because if this is the only thing you know, then you don't yeah. have any point of reference yeah. of anything yeah. else. And it's just this thing. And we've talked about it a lot recently in just the fact of how is it that you can create space for yourself professionally to ask for more, to receive more, to hold on to it, to deem mm-hmm. yourself worthy and, and to, that, that, to elevate that. Right there, right there, right there. To deem yourself worthy. Oh, you blew me away. Yeah. 
yeah. that worthiness piece. Cause you know, we, we have this idea of like affirmations, ask for what you want, like, you know, demand what you want. Like, do you think you're deserving of what you want? Do you deem yourself worthy of what you want? And how do you even go about receiving it? If you've been told that you don't deserve it, that you don't have a space here, that you don't, you know, I call it a, well, actually I, I have to credit my um, psychologist cousin for this. Her name is Lamise Shawahin. And she calls it the white man in your head. That's basically like, you are unworthy. You know, that imposter syndrome that comes up yep. um, with, with uh, you know, I don't want to say all people of color, but with some people of color, they, they hear it, they feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that sense of unworthiness that, you know, do I actually belong here? That questioning, the second guessing, it's all a part of, yeah, yeah. the system. And India, I have a question for you. I want to know kind of where, you see that um, because I know for you with working with um, over the years, a lot of like apparel brands and things that I think kind of are on that other side of it. um, Where do you see that come up with men of color? Because I think we're giving the, the, the women's point. And I'm like, wait a minute, I think there's a whole nother piece over here Mm -hmm. that should be addressed too. Um, I think that the worthiness is there and also like a fear of, really showing who they are, you know, fully being able to be themselves, speak their mind and not, um, I, th- I think women of color have to do with being looked at as the angry black woman, right? Anything that we say that is not so kind and sweet and going with the status quo, angry black woman. For the men of color that I've had as clients, they have that in addition to, will this land me in prison? Will this harm my family? Will someone take the visibility that I have, you know, and use that as an opportunity to steal my untrademarked work? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of layers to that worthiness and ah, they're tired. They're tired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's exhausting. Yeah. Right. It's a straight up exhaustion. Mm-hmm. All right, India, what other words in here do we want to make sure that, because I want to make sure that we hit those because I don't want to leave that. I think that's really important and I think it should be definitely addressed. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask, how are you defining bicultural? I feel like we touched on the cultural homelessness, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure if everyone knows what bicultural is. It may be some people's first time hearing that term. Yeah. So bicultural would include someone that is um, that identifies with two cultures. So someone, you know, like an Indian American, um, a Palestinian American, um, uh, a Somali American, you know, so they, they identify with their Somali culture, but they're also Western and they identify with, with being Western and being born here. And oftentimes those biculturals, um, are left having to choose. Like what what culture am I gonna embrace? What culture do I have to let go of? Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a dance between, I speak Arabic at home and when I get to school, I'm speaking English and here I am, I'm having to choose. Um, you know, that's just the, like the baseline, the simple, the simple choices we have to make. Um, right, I have, 
some clarifying questions around that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I have One a question things... for both of you too. I'm like, I want both of you to answer this. Go ahead first Ooh. though. One of the things that I see, um, especially with people who are multi-ethnic or bicultural, yeah. is mm -hmm. that like you're saying, they're having to feel like um, front-facing, they're deciding, they're choosing one piece mm -hmm. of who they are. Mm -hmm. And that other piece kind of goes on the back burner. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, um, what is your perspective on like, why is that happening here in America? Um, and then also, what does that do to someone long term of mm -hmm. really having to claim just one piece of who they are? Yeah. Well, I want to go back because something came to me as you were speaking, but um, that bicultural term can also apply to biracials because they are having to choose between black and white culture. So, yeah. Um, and, and white culture is a thing, even though it's not really spoken of. But yeah, so um, I felt like I needed to clarify that as well. So bicultural can include um, biracial as well. Thank you. Um, and back to your question, you asked me <laughs> about um, the long-term effects. Yeah, of leaving like a piece of themselves, you know, on oh, the back yeah. I mean, when you leave, uh, now I'm trying to think of it, like I, I kind of want to give you a vignette, but like when you, when you leave a piece of yourself, you're left with uh, almost like, like a scattered puzzle piece. And you don't even see, you know, you don't have like a blueprint of what the puzzle even should look like together. And so you're just a bunch of pieces, not knowing that you can be a whole or almost like feeling like there, um, like there isn't, yeah, there isn't a whole because you can't see the blueprint because you've been told that there's, you're just scattered. There's little pieces of you here, little pieces of you there, um, you know, perform this way amongst your white friends, perform this way amongst your black friends, perform this way when you're in the mosque with your Muslim peers. So it's just kind of like, um, yeah, puzzle pieces scattered around. Um, and there isn't, yeah, you're, you're, you're never told that you can be all those things collectively. See, that makes me think about that whole piece of when I was growing up and you were who you were, but then you also understood that concept of like, when you have to go make a business call, you, uh, you, you put on a specific voice or, you know, your, your, your act right, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. And, and how you, did that affect you? It put me in a place of a lot of people, um, quantifying my blackness and I've experienced mm -hmm. that throughout my life. And now having children that are black and white, there is this place of like, you know, being almost hypervigilant on what that can look like for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really aware of too much and not enough at the same time. Yeah. And so that actually brings me back to the other question that I had for both of you in that when we, so if you say Muslim American, then there's this piece of like, okay, what is that? What is American culture and what is white culture? Because when I look at it in a lot of ways, like if I think about white culture, unfortunately I think about the not so good pieces of it. However, when I think about both of those contexts, I think about you steal it and you dilute it. Like, cause what is yours? Do you have a culture? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean um, based on like your religion. 
I mean, literally, if we are to say American, it's like, well, what is that? What is that? What does that yeah. mean? Because like even even uh, even fries are French, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying, just saying, just saying. Right. So I'm kind of like, what does what does that mean? And I, I again, I have my views, but. I would love to hear a little more context on what you think that is, because I do think that sometimes that plays into that putting American behind something. Mm -hmm. And if that's adding or if it's taking away. Mm -hmm. I can, yeah, I can, I can answer that. So and I'll answer it from my perspective. And I, I, I can't say that this is inclusive for everyone that's Muslim American or Arab American. Um, but it's almost like, you have to put American in the end or else you will be seen as fully other. I mean, you're other regardless. Right. <laughs> That's that no questions, you know, of, in terms of that you're othered. Right. But it's like I'm othered, but I'm not as othered because I'm not just a Muslim. I'm a Muslim American. And, and it's mm -hmm. it's interesting that you would say that because that that comes to mind like often it's like what does that yeah what does that mean does that mean that there's a mosque that i go to in america so that makes me muslim american does that um or even yeah like those those um those identities it's like we um we follow them we place them on ourselves really intentionally and we do it in order to not be as othered still othered but not mm -hmm. as other. You identify as American or you, you know, or you'll have people like who will ask you, like, even when you're standing in line, like if you're visibly Muslim or if you're visibly, I mean, other, you're, you're a brown person, they'll ask you or, or ask you to answer something that's like tailored to what they view, you know, your, your culture as, or, you know, like, what are your views on fill in the blank, something politically? And I'm just like, you, do you think I'm going to speak for everyone in that region? Like, that's just, impossible and it's ridiculous but mm -hmm. yeah so i think that yeah. hyphenated adding the american to it all is is so we can feel less othered and yeah. you know sadly so we do not we're still othered yeah regardless yeah india what are your thoughts oh i think that there's a lot of pieces to that and when i think about adding that american to that I would say as an African-American, that's what I check if I have to check a box most times. Um, do I feel comfortable taking the American away? Would I identify as African? And I think that this is an important conversation, right? Because identity can determine a lot about how we move through life, a lot about how we feel about ourselves, how we interact with others. And I can't say that I feel like I grew up having African culture in my life. Yeah, I didn't. So I'm with you on that. Mm -hmm. And so then what does that mean for people who are like, neither of these pieces really feel like who I am. Mm -hmm. Oh, And then what do you identify? Yeah, like, and then what do you identify yourself with? Just the color of your skin? So I am a woman of color. That's where I'm from. That's what I am. <laughs> Yes. Like either like that country, that association, or external identification. Like that's how that's what they want us to do. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You yeah. had a really good question come up that I wanted to ask. Um, it says, "I'd love to know how you see the differences or implications 
of culture versus community. Are they interrelated? And how does your cultural identity or your culture identify the communities that you feel at home in? Mm. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking, because mm. I'm like, yeah, culturally, I feel like I belong to, I mean, externally, like, and I guess I'll just answer this from, this is full self-disclosure, I'll answer this from my perspective again. Um, but yeah, culturally, I, I can say that I fit into a lot of different cultures because of my ambiguous features. And so I have friends in different in different subcultures or, you know, um, or in different racial, I guess, yeah, racial cultures. Um, so my community is built up of um, not just one culture. So I, yeah, I can't say that my community is the Arab American community and that's what I am because I wasn't raised that way mm -hmm. and I never really fit into one culture. And again, like, this is, this is just me explaining it from my background, like um, the ambiguous features that I, that I can fit in and, you know, pass mm -hmm. as a lot of um, different, as a lot of different identities. And so that's kind of informed the community that I've built around myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's what came for me. I'd like to provide some context for those that are listening to this and not seeing it live. Um, you have curly hair. Oh, yes. You I have oh, oh, my bad. Medium I forgot. skin I forgot. color. <laughs> <laughs> and some of your features look a little bit more European than what we would expect from somebody who is technically African, yet your skin is brown. Yeah. And for those of you that have seen what I look like, <laughs> we look like a little bit more similar to each other. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I think that's important to note for people who are hearing and not seeing, um, because I can say the same thing and be completely true about me. If I had to ask myself, what would my identity be? It would not be a country. It would not be um, a race. It would be a community that I have been able to decide what that is for myself. And it's very diverse as far as what people look like and where they're from. And I do think a lot of that is because I racially look ambiguous and it's probably assumed that I am half white, which I think that many people could assume about you as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's interesting to, to have this dialogue because we, we don't ever think about it on a daily basis. Like you don't ever go out and think, well, they're gonna assume I'm fill in the blank. So I guess I'll just be <laughs> friends with those people in the playground, you know what I mean? Because because I can, because I look like them. I, mm -hmm. And a lot of my, you know, kind of going back to the therapy realm, a lot of my clients choose me because they think I am an African-American woman. And our experiences but, overlap, yes, as a woman of right. color in America. And I can't claim that I completely understand or that I identify right. as an African-American woman. So with that, I think that that brings up just a certain amount of um, kind of feeling pulled towards someone that at least reflects something that feels more um, of a mirror for what I am and the way that I have to walk through the world. Even if um, 
it isn't technically the same. It's it's closer in relation. And so with that, I think it's worthwhile to acknowledge um, if you can kind of explain some of the differences between what you do and the way that you do it and kind of how you serve versus the very Americanized Eurocentric way that healing and therapy is kind of, on a language says given, it's framed this way. This is completely how this is what this is, this is how it's given. Yeah. Like I, just a question before I answer that. When mm-hmm. you think of, or when you used to think of therapy, what's mm-hmm. the first thing that would come to mind? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Really? Sorry. Sorry to our non-people of color listeners, but in my household, white people shit. Mm-hmm. Legit. Sitting That's on a true. couch and some white man with a pad and glasses looking at you weird, telling you how you're broken and your family being like, oh, you let out all our secrets or you would, are, are, why, what's wrong with you? What, why couldn't you keep yourself together? You don't go, you don't go tell white people what's wrong with you. You hold yeah. that. You don't, right. you, yeah. like you keep the dysfunction inside and we all internalize oh, yeah. it and deal with it. That's what we do. So yeah. it wasn't thought of at all. Yeah. Until I became not an adult. Only, yeah. Not only do you keep the dysfunction inside, but you don't want to be the stereotype. So right. even if you do have dysfunction, how dare you go say it? Now they're going to think that all of us are the same. Now they're going to think and assume all their assumptions were right. And there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, but yeah, for, yeah. Sorry. I was going to say for me and my family, it was very much like assume that this was something that um, was not accessible to people of color. It was not, um, facilitated by people of color. So mm-hmm. I didn't know any therapists that looked like us. No. Um, and, and it therefore, was, it was more uh, about the reflection of what you had wrong with you with air quotes that reflected on them. Like a mother that's like, they're going to think I didn't raise you right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you're going to have child protective services come to our house. Like, <laughs> no, this is not an option. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because I, I just wanted to clarify because that's the first thing that would come in, in in my mind before I got into this field is like mm, that's some white people shit. Yeah, or white people stuff. Or well, what are you talking about? And I about? think that like, there's yeah. this assumption too that like um, underneath all of that, like the only reason that you go is if like you have a borderline personality mm, disorder, like severe, you're schizophrenic. It has to be something like on that spectrum of mental health. But anxiety, no, we, what is that? We don't even know what that is. Yeah. To me, that brings up the trauma with a little T thing. Like trauma does not, I remember when I first talked about PTSD with a friend who was in the military and did go to war. He's like, no, some of the things you've gone through, you do have PTSD and you didn't have to fight in a war to have it. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the word for uh, crazy in Arabic, it's majnun, and it literally means to be possessed. So, like in Middle Eastern culture, it's almost like a possession, you know, like your anxiety, depression, like. And so they'll bring religious leaders to kind of, you know, that 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 was like in the past. Um, so, like culturally, it is definitely one of those things that yeah, you just don't talk about, you don't resolve, or you pray, you pray it out, you ask God. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so 
I, I feel like I have to kind of give you a little bit of, of uh, background, like in terms of like my training and stuff. So if I were to say what makes me different is I recognize that it wasn't just a stigma thing. Because I think that when it comes to mental health, we're stuck at just talking about the fact that uh, communities of color don't talk about this. You know what I mean? So we're still mm -hmm. stuck in the conversation we just had a second ago. Right. My parents said it's a white people thing. And so we need to end the stigma. And while that is extremely important to have these conversations and to end the stigma, what comes next is providing the services. We can't stay stuck in the, this is what they said, this is how I grew up. And so here I am in my thirties and forties and I have yet to receive services. Um, and so when I went through the training, uh, it was a, it was a two-year program, uh, clinical mental health program. I was the angry woman of color, shaking my head in the background, thinking like, this does not apply to me. Here I am putting this money and, and these loans and I'm a single mother and, um, into this, in, into this program that is not addressing the needs. Uh, of people who look like me. And I went into the program because I wanted to fill that gap. Like I, I could, I, I knew that marginalized communities needed that. I knew that I needed it. I knew that my community needed it. Um, and then there I was receiving training that just simply would not apply to my people. <laughs> and it was shocking to me. I was just like, I, you can hear it in my voice now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I graduated thinking, okay, all right, I have this degree. I really, I mean, as, 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 uh, as angry and frustrated as I am, I have to do something with this anger and frustration. Um, and so with the help of like people who supported me, um, it was an instant, okay, so stop applying to organizations that aren't going to serve or service in a way that you feel like people of color need to be serviced and just go ahead and branch out, do your own thing. Um, and so what makes sin in the membrane different um, and what makes me different as a therapist is that I don't think marginalized communities healing, I don't think that marginalized communities can receive healing. I wanna, I wanna be careful before I say this. <laughs> can receive adequate healing from Eurocentric models of, of therapy. Mm -hmm. I agree. With it just doesn't, it just doesn't apply. It just doesn't apply to us. And yeah. when I say Eurocentric models, I, I mean like the literal, you know, sitting back in the couch. So tell me about your childhood. Let's talk about your parents. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, like that Freudian, like that, yeah the silence in the background the nodding of the head the, mm -hmm. the diagnosis all of it it just doesn't apply to us so from your viewpoint and the way that you do things tell us some of what the alternatives are that mm -hmm. are accessible to help with the healing yeah so um uh, an alternative would be viewing the person that's in front of me as a whole individual and not just as a label. So when I, <laughs> as simple as that sounds. It's not simple. There's nothing <laughs> simple about that. I'm nothing. sorry, I'm like, 
<laughs> it sounds really <laughs> elementary, you know, but, um, you know, like even in terms of like uh, multicultural adequacy. So these programs claim to like, you know, kind of offer multicultural adequacy and, um, and so it, it <laughs> for a non-therapist of color, right? When it comes to multicultural adequacy, the first thing that they think about is, well, I have to recognize my privilege as a white person in the room. And then I also have to recognize that this person in front of me does not have the same privilege. So I have to recognize that I am speaking to a brown woman and that that is enough. Like if I recognize that there's that difference between us, then healing can occur. Does that make sense to you guys? Like, are you... mm -hmm. okay. Would that be enough for you as a woman of color seeking no. therapy? Okay. <laughs> Absolutely mm -hmm. not. No. Yeah. No, because so it's, it's a it's, start. It, right. It's a start, but it's still, it still feels like, it feels like an antiquated idea almost when you put it that way. It's like, okay, can we, can we come present day and get out the 1960s? Like, yes, we recognize that. What else? What's next? Yeah. What else? Like, that's yeah. all you got? Yeah. Yeah. And the fear is if I don't label this individual as a black woman, as a brown woman, as a Muslim woman, as a, you know, then who are they to me? That's what, that's what you are. You are a label to me. Other than the diagnosis itself, you, I, I have to label you in order to identify with you. That's what we've been taught. Yeah. And so when, you know, when, even when I do um, like get a referral or, uh, you know, someone will send me an email like, Hey, I'm looking for services. Their first thing is like, I saw that you um, that you're a woman of color, and I and I'm my uh, previous like uh, tries in therapy were terrible, and and that's where we start. Okay, so tell me about it. What did you need more of? What did you know? What didn't work? What? Um, mm -hmm. And normally the I and I can say this like with full confidence. The response is, uh, they just didn't get me. They didn't see me. They just didn't get it. I found myself having to explain things. And so then it becomes a catch-up, a cultural catch-up, basically. And if that's a safe space, you're paying for this safe space. And here you are paying to explain yourself yet again. So you said space. So, so what is the concept of taking up space when it comes to your own healing? And within a place that really doesn't hold space for you. Yeah, then you have to seek it out. And that's what and, and I can say that again in full confidence. That's why people seek my services out, because it is a space in which they do not have to perform. <gasps> what a concept. That. <laughs> and, that. I, and, 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 and I find myself often like checking in, like, are you performing for me right now? Like, are you don't have like what what's what's happening right now like are you is this a performance like this is this is the space where you are given an hour or you know 90 minutes to just be you you're allowed to be without having to explain yourself and that's the yeah. I, I i can say that is the number one thing that makes sane in the membrane different from can any other organization on that for a second yeah 
Yeah. So if I'm listening and I am a person of color and I'm like, hey, you know what? It's time. I'm going to use this podcast as an opportunity to take it as a sign to reach out and start looking for a therapist. You know, what is it like? Um, what should someone have in mind when they're starting to seek a therapist as a person of color? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So um, Therapy for Black Girls is an amazing resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and Psychology Today is as well. But you're, you know, when you're on Psychology Today, you're looking in terms of like, you're sifting through it, like, oh, that's a brown person. That's a black person. That's a, it's but, a lot. But, you know, yeah, it's a lot. But Therapy for Black Girls is an amazing resource. And I think that I and I and I tell my clients this all the time, like the first initial meeting, I'm like, uh, I know someone, I know you got a referral, like your friend sees me or your, you know, whatever. But like, if you don't jive with me, if you don't like me, it is totally okay. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. And it's really important that you actually like the person you're speaking to. Yes. You have to like, like the therapist you're opening up to. And it's not just a, okay, this is a service she's giving me. And so I have to pay her and here I am, it's going to be uncomfortable. And it really doesn't matter if I like her. That's bullshit. You have to like the person you're talking to. And sometimes you might, you know, and there, there has to be that initial, like that, that, that good vibe that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that there, there aren't going to be any disruptions, or maybe if you're pushed, you might not, you know, you might feel a certain way, but, um, it's really important that you, yeah, that you, that you like the person you're disclosing to. This is, this is the, uh, it's, it's a relationship and it's extremely important to, to, to like put intent into that relationship and to enjoy it. And yeah, One it's of not our necessarily... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> to not assume that it has to be uncomfortable. Oh yeah, you know? well, that can be an I mean, there are yeah. I mean, there are moments of you know uh, discomfort, but right. that's not necessarily the entire process. Yeah, but you said yeah. something important. It's a relationship, and so I want to acknowledge the fact that I think considering it in the concept of that it is a relationship and it is supposed to be you know mutual understanding, mutual respect. I see you, you see me. Um, I can be seen and heard. I can speak up if I'm not comfortable and I really feel like maybe it's, you know, there's something that I need addressed. But that in itself is a concept that I'm going to I'm going to speak for myself, but I've had this conversation with enough people that I feel confident saying it and that this wasn't this is a privilege that a lot of us did not grow up thinking that we had access to. Speaking up about your wants and your needs and whether or not you feel seen and heard, whether or not your needs are being met. It's something to be said for going in for healing for yourself and still having to wonder, can I really do that? Can I use my voice and say, this is actually what I want and need. And do you even know what that is? Have you even admitted it to yourself? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Completely agree. Yeah. And that piece that you said, can I use my voice? do I even have a voice? That's where, that's the starting out of, um, of therapy for a lot of my women of color. Like, do, do I have a voice? Why am I feeling this discomfort? Ooh, maybe it's because you don't, you, you feel like you don't have a voice. Let's start there. So the baseline is finding that voice for sure. Um, and then I, I kind of want to say something about what you said. Um, I see you and you see me 
in traditional modes of therapy, the therapist is an, is a neutral party. Like you receive hardly anything like these eye movements and like that, you know, you, you just receive someone that's like nodding their head and taking notes and most likely pathologizing you in their head. Mm. And from what I've seen, the, the, the self-disclosure has been the most healing part of a lot of my sessions. Talk more about that. Okay. So like the client on the other side, knowing that I have gone through something and wanting to hear about how I got through it has been like hands down, like one of the most underused techniques that I've, yeah, that I, that I've, that I've developed. Um, mm -hmm. Or that I've been told that I can't use because traditional modes of therapy are like, use self-disclosure, but very tiny little bits of self-disclosure because this isn't yeah. your space to be, you know. But what I found is that when I when I take up space, just in small increments in, mm -hmm. in therapy, I'm also modeling for my, you know, for my clients to, to take up space. And, um, but yeah, that, that self-disclosure has, has been extremely impactful and um, useful with with my women of color for sure as like non-therapist non-coach what do you think about that concept of like you taking up some space and people being able to actually pull some of that uh momentum or desire to move forward from understanding from you that like you know you understand because you've gone through some of these things kind of that empathetic standpoint because I, in my opinion, I think empathy is severely underrated and that mirroring of like, yeah, some of these things that you're going through, like I get it and not feeling bad to acknowledge that it happened and like you, you're still a whole human with that. Right, I mean, I think that empathy is an important piece of that. Um, I also think it's, it's giving people permission to, to honor their experiences, right? And I think that when we're able to showcase that we've had experiences, we've been through things, we are human too. Um, in this case, you know, I'm not this therapist that knows everything and my life is perfect, you know, and this, because people can think that when they are working with a therapist for the first time or a coach for the first time we're able to show them that there's no need for them to be perfect either. Like there is no perfect, mm -hmm. or at least that's how that stands out to me. A big part of what I see to be important is recognizing that visibility can be a two way street in order for that person to really be able to support you. They have to be able to see you. And sometimes that requires them seeing themselves and who you are as well. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of piece of something from everyone that we can pull from that we can relate to and connect on. But I think that sometimes when there's no opportunity to kind of pull those pieces of where we do connect and what we do have in common, then it makes that deeper level of connection that is required, especially with a coach or a therapist, um, almost impossible. Mm -hmm. So we have And that goes question. completely against what you were taught, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we have a question I want to make sure we get in here, too. Um, how has capitalism and white supremacy impacted how you rest and slow down? 
Oh, man. Y'all can see her <laughs> face right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, how I rest. Rest what? Who? Um, hmm. The rebel in me wants to answer this. But the professional in me is like, yeah. Do um, both. I want both. <laughs> because, I, because I think that's a part of what we just talked about. There's the, this is uh, me, the human, and this is me. Like, I'll say, like, like I'll take my coach hat off and I'm going to give you Erica for a minute. But then yeah. I'll put my hat back on and here we are. Because there's some, there some nuances. Yeah. Yeah. The, the me without my therapist cap on would say, well, also therapist cap, I guess. But I definitely feel like white supremacy and systemic oppression is my ultimate like push it's my motivator it's it is my this is why you're doing it you better not give up <laughs> you better keep on going even when you're tired you better not so it's it's one of those like reminders it's a snap for me it's like not even a snap it's almost like a like a huge yeah I don't even, what's the word? What's the word? Uh, like a it feels like whack-a-mole. Like. A whack, yes, a whack. <laughs> Perfect, a whack-a-mole, I love that. Yeah, Chuck E. Cheese, whack-a-mole. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it definitely gives me that like jolt. Do I need it? Do I want it? No, 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 I don't want that jolt, but it's there. Um, so that is my, that's my push, that's my motivator. Um, and then in terms of like rest, um, my my spirituality um my spirituality and intentional uh self-care so again showing up for showing up for my um for myself for my family um and recognizing that that while i do feel uh an urgency and i do feel a sense of responsibility that i you know, that I, that I have to take a breather, that I, there's, there's high burnout. I can be overwhelmed that, you know, uh, systemic oppression has been here before me and it will be, you know, hopefully not be here after me, but it's, it's here for now. Um, and so trying to not mm -hmm. overwhelm myself is, is really important. So taking those intentional breathers and, and time and time in nature is really important for me. And also something. trying not to like the social media stuff, man. I try to fast sometimes, social media fasts, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, same, same. Yeah, I sometimes feel like the um, the rest, the self care, taking time for your own wellness is something that people of color uh, don't talk about enough. Mm -hmm. or prioritize. So I think it's important for people to hear that you are doing that for yourself. Oh, for sure. I mean, and that goes back to what we said in the beginning, uh, surviving and thriving. We need right. to just, like, if we want to thrive, we have to look inwards. We have to rest. We have to take a moment to breathe. It's a lot of shit out there, man. Mm -hmm. So before we start to actually finish up here. I want to make sure if there was something that you wanted to leave everyone with, uh, kind of a parting sentiment, something to think about, something to consider, what would that be? You deserve healing. Yeah. You are deserving of this healing. It is your innate right as a human being 
Um, so if you do feel like you, you need some assistance, I definitely would recommend a coach, a therapist, because um, you're deserving of it. So, so demand that and find the right fit. Find the right fit. Mm-hmm. Speaking of right fit, we know that one of the things that you talk about is how services um, are can tend to be like under-researched um, and just unmet. And also the methods of the approach to therapy can be very different in the way that you do that versus the traditional model. And so um, I'd love for you to share like what does that look like if someone's interested in working with you, especially knowing that you also dive into the creative experience and just kind of bringing that creativity and art and other pieces to what therapy can be instead of the sofa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like from a, I guess I can give you like a little snippet. I mean, I start mm-hmm. out with what is it that you want from your time here? You have limited time on earth. You know, you're, you're born, there's a middle, and then there's an end. What do you want from your middle? So I'm really, I, I guess I can say that I'm, I, I kind of give them that jolt, like the, what is it that you want? What is it that you need from me? What is it that you want from your life? Um, yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Um, and then in terms, of, uh, in terms of creativity, I mean, your life is your canvas. How are you choosing, how are you choosing to color it? So starting out with that dialogue and then, you know, moving into, um, into, into creative work, depending on the individual that I'm working with. Yeah. yeah. And narrative, like narrative approaches, what type of story do you want to leave for your, you know, for your community? What type of, like, how are you writing your life narrative? Um, yeah. Things that we, we normally aren't um, given space to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I want to make sure that everybody that's listening can find you and learn more about you and what you do and be able to share you with those that feel like they're not finding themselves represented in their healing. And so therefore they're putting it on hold. So tell everyone a little bit more about where they can actually find you. Ooh, thank you. Yes. Um, Saneinthemembrane.com. That's the site. Um, And I am also on IG at sane.in.themembrane. I forgot because the the IG made me do the little dots. Um, And yeah, you can can schedule an initial consult. yeah, feel free to reach out if you have any questions, any curiosities. Sounds Was I supposed to give a number? No, right? No, we're going. No, no, no. Yeah, we're my site a- has my site has all the has all the info on there. Yes, and all the <laughs> all the good good will be will be in the show notes as well. Cool. Right. Thank you all. Thank you immensely, immensely. Cool. Time is valuable, and the whack a mole tried to steal an hour from you, but. this was this was amazing and i think it's going to be very um 
very supportive. And I think it was very informative for those that may not have known and aren't familiar with this lens. And mm -hmm. so for that and your time and your transparency, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Also, one last thing. Mm -hmm. I think we should I think we should all either eat something warm or do something warm for ourselves today. <laughs> Just putting that out there. I agree. <laughs> Please and thank that. you. <laughs> Please yeah. and thank you. <laughs> Same. Awesome. Everything will be in the show notes. Thank you again. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. It's so important to be able to hear what real conversations look like, things that come up in there that you don't even think to ask or may not have even realized how important they were. And so being that we're able to do this in front of our community and really be able to allow people to be a part of it, to put their questions in, their thoughts, their takeaways, and to support it, it's such an integral part of what Indy and I uh, individually and collectively believe is a part of what we do and our why. And so I would love to have you in the room to be able to be a part of our recordings and all of the other amazing things that we do with how we support and create impact. So go on over to pauseontheplay.com forward slash community and put in your application so that you can be in the room with all of the other community members and Indy and myself. And so as always, we love being here creating a path and a bridge for you to walk over and to be a part of the change that you want to see. So until next time, continue to keep that dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?